Hello and welcome to the ET PhD team podcast, the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism, a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you. I'm Emilia, a registered nutritionist and PhD with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier. If you love it, please do go wild and share it. And if you're ready for support with our coaching, details are in the show notes. Hello and welcome to episode number 125 of the ETPH team podcast with myself, Becca. How are you, Becca? I'm good. How are you? Well, thank you. Um, How are you, Anna? I am good, thank you. I am all good. I don't know about you guys, but I had proper full moony vibes and didn't sleep very well last night oh my god I woke like every hour every two hours it was it was awful yeah I slept like a baby oh Oh, really yeah (laughs) see I didn't do my normal like full moon ritual maybe that's what it was (laughs) sick neither did I my me and my friend were talking about yesterday and I was like I've got nothing that I'm ready to just release yet I'm holding on to this anxiety for another month she was like bold move (laughs) I'd like to let break down in a couple of weeks (laughs) I know well if I could just make it to the next full moon it'll be fine but I saw this real real on tiktok this tiktok the other day and it was it was like it was um they were talking about anxiety and stuff and it got me thinking like someone said anxiety feels like when your bra is too tight and I was like this is the feeling like I've not had feelings of anxiety for a while it's not GAD it's literally just feelings of anxiety I've not had it for a while and I was like that's exactly what it feels like it feels like your breasts are tight and I'm like I don't even wear a bra and the fact that I feel suffocated by my non-existent bra is not a great sign <laughs> same or your skin falling does yeah. anyone yeah oh, I know that feeling I used to wake up in the night and I'd feel like I wanted to rip my skin off my legs mm. and then I was like what the hell is that yeah <laughs> oh love a little bit of do you know the term is somaticizing that not so much that but there's this term somaticizing which I love which is about when you feel a physical pain based on a psychological feeling so um when I learned about it was after an abortion when I was grieving and I, I went to the doctors because I was like there's something wrong with me I, I, I was like, I've done all the STI tests I've done everything and it's this physical pain I'm waking up crying in pain and she checked everything over and she was like there's nothing wrong and then it was like oh it's it's the psychological grief that is manifested in this genuinely physical pain like how scary is that although great that your body can be so in tune yeah I truly believe though that our body's like physical pain and like chronic pain and stuff definitely linked to emotions and like trapped emotions and things like that Mm. yeah doesn't it yeah because that's why a lot of women one of the reasons why a lot of women in their 30s get diagnosed with chronic pain and fibromyalgia and and ms and things like that and it's not a fault thing but it's like a although although i think in the dsm it's not actually linked to trauma and in clinical like medical um realms it's not an official link so I would like to make that super clear but it does appear that there is this link between suppression of trauma when you're younger and then especially women in their 30s then being diagnosed with chronic pain and illness yeah my mom actually was diagnosed with the fibromyalgia and she was going through a really really tough time in her life and as soon as like she started working on her things that were bothering her let's say emotionally um it started dissipating like it was unbelievable her now versus her then and like even her physical health it's 
night and day it's amazing amazing that's why I really like when when we're working with people and they're like especially people in their 20s and stuff I think a lot of obviously people are overeating or having you know disordered eating habits or exercise habits as a way to suppress their emotions right and I just think I wish that everyone could do it as early as possible because it's yes it impacts your relationship with food and and your mental health and things now but even longer term it could impact it even more beyond just your food and like they don't tell you that in school and again I guess it's because it's not it's not clinical and, and and hard science right there's no link that says if you suppress your trauma then you will get this there's there's no link there it definitely does seem that way lady gaga talks about it a lot she's got fibromyalgia she talks about it a lot yeah she's like a spokesperson for it i did a lot of research because my best mate, mate has fibromyalgia so i did a lot of research around it and she's like yeah a big spokesperson for it oh as if i couldn't love her anymore yeah <laughs> yeah on that and then you'll just fall in love. Um, okay, let's get cracking on the questions. I should go first. Who first? Oh, sorry, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear it, Anna, either, so. Just... <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, I feel like since starting this journey, I haven't been able to truly give myself unconditional permission to eat because I am so scared of gaining fat. The thought of weight gain is always in the back of my mind. Any tips to help combat this? Guess what are you, like, why have you started the journey? Is, is it for reasons that are way bigger than your body? Um, like trying to shift that from being the main focus. And obviously, if you're working with Anna, you're going to be doing that. But it seems like that your actual body and the workplace in your body is the main focus right now. But it's also pretty... You know, it's to be expected that you're going to have these fears and resistance around it because you haven't done it. So giving yourself time to dip your toes in and see, see that it's not as scary and it you don't just blow up overnight, basically. Exactly. Doing that you'll see it. Yeah, exactly that. Like dipping your toe in is so important. It's like you need to give yourself the evidence that eating these foods does not change your body in any way in order for you to then keep pushing but you're going to be stuck there unless you push yourself and like you said, Becca, dip your toe into trying these other things. You will be stuck there. And if you look at any of the research around unconditional permission to eat intuitive eating, it's the one, one of the key constructs that's associated with like improved health outcomes. So it's one that you really, really, it's really worthwhile pushing yourself on. The other thing is I would, I would challenge you on why it is the worst thing in the world to gain body fat. So realistically you would have to eat in a surplus for a sufficient amount of time to gain body fat right it doesn't matter what foods you eat you could do that from salads if you ate enough of it although that would probably be quite painful but you could do it from salads you could do it from oh my god did you see the thing i ate yesterday the snickers brookie oh yeah i meant to message him need one of those in my life oh my gosh there's this coffee place i always go to do my work in and normally like normally they just have the best coffee but they always have the really freshly baked cakes and if there's something that looks really good I'm like okay and it's like obviously a mixture between a brownie and a cookie and then it had like like soft caramel in it and then oh, peanut butter. Hot. yeah it was it was oh, oh so good anyway I thought I just said it was a cold, cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was just nicer it was fab um but what I would say is 
right so say you ate 100 snickers cookies right over the week then that would probably put you into a slight surplus um it's not the food it's just the fact like that you've eaten in surplus what would be the worst case scenario of gaining 0.5 kilograms like what are you attributing that weight gain to we have naturally this huge internalized thin ideal and this internalized weight stigma where we just do any gain to be bad and obviously we've spoken about this a lot before where where we just assume that leaner is always better that someone would always always leaner and and I know that the person who asked this question is like well yeah I would choose to be leaner but why is that when you're looking at a settling range a settling range or what people call a set point it is more like a range it's probably like five kilos ish like if you're in a smaller body maybe slightly less if you're in a larger body maybe slightly more but it's probably about five kilos ish which means that there'll be times when I gain three or four kilos you wouldn't necessarily know about it because I don't talk about it like I wouldn't highlight it on my pictures for example but maybe because I've eaten too many Snickers brookies and not, not enough salad and that's absolutely fine it doesn't impact my life it doesn't make me less than and it doesn't impact my work or any connections that I have and because I don't think of it as bad I don't feel bad about it and I know that sounds really basic but we give meaning to things you're giving meaning to a scale weight change that it's a bad thing but but why is it so bad it doesn't that doesn't impact your health couple of kilos on the scale weight is not going to impact your health if you're in a larger body and fat loss is good for you your health then yeah long term we want to probably bring that that body fat level down but and for most people that fluctuation is not bad but you're kind of catastrophizing it to mean something potentially more than it actually does if there was one thing i would say if you haven't done it already is to drop the scales because you're going to constantly be comparing your weight now to the weight then or the weight you should be um and it's inevitably going to change it's going to fluctuate so just take that out if you can at all I would say and if Anna's on board <laughs> oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just think it's the biggest thing that holds people back because they're constantly striving for this number mm. and it's always going to change no matter so what you do so true I don't actually know of any health professional that I'm close to, I say health professional, personal trainer or coach that I'm close to that still uses scale weight. Mm. I don't, like, as in for themselves, obviously for clients, there's, there's like, listen, there's certain people that I work with that take scale weight because it's important if they're on a fat loss journey, but even then people on fat loss journeys that are not taking scale weight. And I, and I know some people that are looking at weight maintenance that weigh every month or something just to make just that they're kind of still roughly where they want to be. Um, but even then I don't really I don't actually know if I've got any clients like that right now point is there are some exceptions to this right but anyone I know that has a good relationship with food now who's in this profession I don't think weighs themselves I think no and I don't know if I shared I can't remember I might have done a client who I think the last time she weighed herself was to go away and just to weigh a herself and her suitcase <laughs> so she knew that she was within limits and then did it on the way home as well and she spent three months away and her weight didn't change and to her that was just like oh, okay I can trust myself to eat right and mm-hmm. she's eaten so freely in that time like the most whilst we're not intuitive eaters like the most eaten the most intuitively she has in years 
and it's had no impact on things. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it was so cool. And a reminder to everyone to just chill out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Becca, do you want to go? Sure. So do any of you have any tips on how to set boundaries with people and perhaps more importantly with your kids um, when they are used to not setting boundaries? I feel it's even more an uphill battle than just setting them because people who have known me for a long time are used to me not setting them and they may resist it. Any tips or advice would be hugely appreciated. Thank you all so much. No, you're talking to the two boundary queens, so I'm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know the stuff to say. Whether you yourself is another matter. No, funnily enough, um, I did do a little guide tips to setting them. Um, So you can find it on my Instagram. It's from yesterday. Just a quick live on it. But I think you hit something really important in that because you haven't been setting them. Well, it's more the story that you're telling yourself that there, there might be some resistance. But if people don't know what your boundaries and your limits are, then they will keep pushing them. So the most important thing you can do is communicate them. Exactly. Exactly that. Um, I think I think the way that Brene tells us to word them as like, it's OK, but it's not OK. It's super a really great practical tip of if you're saying to your kids um maybe they are throwing a tantrum because they got I don't know left out at school I don't know and you can say you know it's okay to feel upset that you got left out at school but it's not okay to throw a drama and smash all the windows in the house I'm sure your kid's not doing that but you get the idea it's so the way that that frames it as like you're validating how that person um is showing up and feels but you are saying like that's fine but it's not okay for this and we talk about this when it comes to like people commenting on your food choices and it's like it's okay that you care about my health but it's not okay for you to comment on my food choices whilst we're at the dinner table and I think that's just a really really nice way of framing it and I think like you said Anna the you're imagining an outcome that's probably worse than the actual outcome and yeah, it might be just like, might be uncomfortable for people initially when you start setting boundaries. It really might be. But what's your alternative here? Not set boundaries ever and then continue on with none and people like walking all over you or leading into that discomfort and trying something different and seeing where that leads. Yeah, I think with the with kids, I don't have kids, but I can just imagine why are you being mean and you're like no I'm not being mean I'm setting a boundary so maybe explaining a little around you know why it's important to why you're doing certain things we'll say without getting too far into it and any guilt that shows up for example like remember that you're doing it to serve them like their future selves and that so it's like staying strong almost until it gets easier is what I would say Mm. I feel like that's probably like some sort of parenting manual like in the like in some parent manual like stay strong until it gets easier like, <laughs> like the mantra for parents <laughs> or one of many I imagine um okay one of my clients would love to hear you elaborate on cravings as mindfulness improves however that's not a question do you think cravings disappear for all individuals as they move closer to more mindful and intuitive style of eating so a little bit of background is that she 
highlighted that she like she just doesn't have that desire for food anymore she loves food and she still gets excited about certain foods if she's going out for dinner she still gets excited for it she still loves food but she doesn't yeah she doesn't feel that like intense craving for foods anymore do you think that's quite normal for people (laughs) yeah another is is it normal I think so I think so I mean I think it's one of those things obviously the more mindful you become and the more intuitive you do just honor whatever you fancy so it's not in the same sense as you're sitting with that craving for a long long time um I actually saw uh someone yesterday share on their story that someone asked them what their favorite food is and he was like all right this is going to sound really stupid but I don't really have one because I enjoy your food and if I want something then I have it and it's as simple as that I thought yeah do you know what that's quite relatable really Mm. um yeah do you have anything to add um yeah I think it's just like it's nothing majorly different but you know those extremes of being like oh food porn and like fantasizing over food don't know them at all definitely (laughs) never been there absolutely (laughs) yeah like it's so normalized isn't it when in the space of you know diet culture fitness space and stuff but it's actually not supposed to be like that and I think like obviously you're going to look forward to things like oh yum but that like intense like give it to me now or I can't stop thinking about anything else isn't normal but it's normalized Mm. if you're hungry to some extent but 24 7 no yeah I mean I agree if you are in the in the headspace of oh I'm really craving some chocolate so I'm gonna eat some broccoli because that Instagram meme told me you're always going to be craving and I mean I know that I know this can relate to this like when I competed I would have a box of stuff under my bed the first time I competed anyway of just the stuff that I was craving and if you think about that as like the extreme end of um action I suppose in some way or like diet in some way of just like not allowing yourself anything and so that craving is really really heightened um and then on the flip side yeah the point of a craving really is it often comes I mean sometimes it can be emotional and I think one thing to note is when you've improved or improving your relationship with food your emotional regulation improves especially when you're working with us right we support improvements in that and so sometimes cravings come because of an emotional desire to eat and you're less likely to have that it will still happen sometimes but you're less likely to have that emotion because you're on your emotional regulation and that's one thing but then the other thing is if you're giving yourself permission to eat these foods and you're getting so for example yesterday when I had that Snickers cookie I know that I can have it whenever I want so it wasn't a craving it was like that looks delicious I've had it and so I've got that kind of little dopamine hit from that food I don't although they do say that sometimes if you eat more of that food then you want more of it right because of that dopamine enforced sensory cue but if you are super mindful that I don't know that like the kind of chemistry and biology side of this but I don't know if you are regularly allowing yourself these foods if that dopamine enforced sensory cue is is dampened in some way I don't actually know um but I might look it up actually and then come back to everyone on that one but regardless the craving is usually there as a as, as a form of restriction and I think this is something that I debate sometimes with other people who are in this industry of like well craving's going to be there you just don't have to honor them it's like I genuinely don't believe that cravings always have to be there I really don't mm-hmm. I think we're in a minority in that yeah 
just off the back of what you were saying with emotional eating, I have um, a client who was finding that the cravings were becoming less and less. And then she went through a bit of a period of having them and was like, oh, this is a bit odd. And it was, but she, off, it was off the, the her own back, decided to explore it a little bit more and was able to get a bit curious without it becoming over the top and, and too much. Um, but she was able to link like when she wanted crisps and crunchy stuff, that's when she was feeling stressed. And it wasn't because she wasn't allowing how she was feeling or suppressing what she was feeling. It's just sometimes it was taking her a little bit of time to kind of catch up and tune in. Mm. Um, so yeah, during that period, she was like, oh, okay. I know when I'm, when I'm wanting crisp, crunchy stuff, then that means I need to really hit the meditation or what, whatever it was that helped her best mm. in that time. I like that re-pathway, this re- redirection of the pathway. I think too, like there will be times if I eat chocolate every single day, without like being super mindful of it it will become a habit and I think that's the other thing too of it become like unconditional permission to eat is not the same as having a habit of eating chocolate every day that's just a habit like a knee jerk and so it kind of becomes like your expect you expect to have that dopamine hit from that chocolate bar at four o'clock every day because that's become a habit whereas with unconditional permission to eat you're not saying well because I've got unconditional permission to eat I am eating this every day it's just like if you see it in the shop and you want it you'd have it it doesn't mean that it's not every day you could have a cake every day and that's fine um so I think it's also about distinguishing between cravings emotional cravings habit um it's very complex it's a complex web of kind of not I don't want to use the word triggers but most like drivers to eat I think it's the right phrase uh Anna Um, So for background, this client has had HA and is still kind of, things are still settling into regularity. Um, I've been really struggling with feeling insecure and disappointed with my increased body size as I work through repairing my relationship with food and my body. There is still a large part of me that is holding on to the hope that my body will be smaller as I work through this journey. I carry this strong belief that my confidence and body image would automatically improve if I were to get leaner. Is it possible to truly work past the negative body image in my current body if I'm still holding on to the hope of being smaller and therefore more confident? Maybe a better question is how can I break this longing desire to be smaller and the assumption that it would improve my confidence? It's a great question. And I think it like speaks for so many in recovery because it's such a it's so like period wizard. Yes, Becca. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For for reference, somebody uh, messaged me yesterday who had worked with Becca and said that she was incredible and she was a period wizard. So that's why that's her new title for us. <laughs> and I won't be answering to anything as I said. <laughs> um, yeah, like it's obviously you're not alone in 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 thinking that way. It's such a it's one of the biggest barriers isn't it like your body changing when you're in recovery and inevitably for most people it is going to change you will be gaining weight um so obviously if you're working with Anna you're going to be digging into looking at your body beyond aesthetics and more about like what your body can do and what you appreciate about your body besides how it looks and all that lovely lovely stuff but giving yourself like 
obviously loads of self-compassion because it is a tough time um there's nothing quote-unquote wrong with you in thinking that way it's like conditioning over years upon years and breaking habits that you've had there for probably years at this point I'd imagine so time compassion and Anna (laughs) and self-belief and it will be better on the other side yeah I think I think people always assume often assume that once they've gained weight they're going to feel worse in their body than they did when they were in a smaller body because whilst they're going through that process the idea of gaining weight is so uncomfortable and often not the case sometimes it's still the case but sometimes what we see when we get to a body size that is healthy for us and we have a regular menstrual cycle is that we feel empowered we feel proud of our body for getting to this point and we feel proud of ourselves for getting our bodies to this point and we move to a place of kind of body respect and acceptance because it's like sometimes if you if you're doing the work like you, which you are doing with Anna you get to the point where you go this is where this is kind of where my body is happiest and it's just, it's almost like you want to feel proud of the respect that you have for your body and I think trying to look at it in that way of like do like do you want to have respect for your body do you want to take care of your body and kind of thinking well if I value that over the societal norm that I have in my head that leaner is always better coming back to what I was talking about earlier then what what would a person like that act like behave like do how would that person treat their body um because I think society does have a lot to answer for in in our drive for thinness of course it does in diet culture but you also have to think about like what do you think is going to change if you're in a smaller body I think that's really important there's this fallacy called the arrivals fallacy which is that kind of I'll be happy when fallacy um I'll be I will be happier when I'm in a smaller body or when I've regained my period or when I've done these things and we know that it's it's a fallacy because it's not true that happiness doesn't come at the end point and on an individual level I think it's important to know like what do you think is going to happen when if you're in a smaller body versus if you're in a larger body and can you meet that in a way that actually will bring that feeling so if it's like I think I'll feel more confident when I'm in a smaller body well start working on your confidence now because I can tell you confidence doesn't come from the way that you look like it re- like I, I, I say that with although looking at me right now the privilege <laughs> of saying yes I'm recognized that I'm in a societal norm body I recognize that um and I recognize that I'm like got like thin white privilege and all of this stuff but that aside confidence doesn't come from five kilograms on the scale it really doesn't it comes from knowing who you are and having a purpose and working towards that purpose and connecting and knowing your worth and I think figure out what it is that you're looking for by getting a smaller body and then think okay well how am I going to work on that stuff now to make sure that I have it without changing my body because changing your body is not going to give you it and I think you have to accept that and that's a hard thing to accept because then you have to go oh, well if my body's not going to give me it that means I'm going to have to do it for myself and that's a hard thing to accept yeah like we must remember as well that in when you are in the depths of HA and you know you don't have your period there is you know your cognition your anxiety levels are going to be higher 
um your body image is inevitably going to be lower when you have like lower sex drive and things like that so instead every time you think of weight gain and having a negative umbrella over that think of like no like try to reframe that as in this is getting all those things back to where they should be and I don't know about you but when I have clients who recover and they do have like a regular cycle back they their body image goes up like even if their weight body is bigger and if even if they once thought that they wanted to be lean their body image and how they feel about their body goes up because they feel like okay my body's functioning how it is supposed to be um and that gives them a lift but also the natural natural hormones peaks and traps such a good point and that's a point is that body image is not about your body size it's about how you perceive your scene if you're perceiving her to be functioning in a healthy way then your body image is going to improve Mm. it's one of those things isn't it I don't know about you guys but I'm I'm always like trust me do the do the work and this client is but give it a few weeks few months and I guarantee you'll be feeling differently about your body in that time and chances are your body hasn't changed much at all but how you feel about it and like you said how you perceive it has yeah I agreed um okay Becca okay right how do I get to a place where I know who I am and I'm comfortable that I don't feel like I'm just doing what others expect I just can't see a way other than I am now this kind of ties into boundaries again with this lady it's you know getting comfortable with I guess speaking her truth and setting boundaries and things mm. so be done tamed by Glennon Doyle you are not a cheetah that's trapped in the zoo wait you are a cheetah that's trapped yeah in the zoo. You, are. <laughs> you are a cheetah that's trapped in the zoo. and you deserve to be yeah so yeah you deserve to be a cheetah in the wild um so I would definitely recommend that and I think come back to your values you work with Becca so you 100% will be doing this if you've not done it already and looking at your values um I think what's first of all what's important to you that's all really important work those things out but then also like what do you love to do where do you find purpose so for me like one of my values is um like helping other people and so whenever I do when I'm working with clients or when I'm working with coaches or yeah cute whatever it is I feel a sense of huge sense of purpose because that's such and so in line with my that's one of my core values much like compassion much like love even if I take time off work to go on a date I still I don't feel stressed because I'm like that's in line with what I value right but if you don't know what you value then you're not going to be able to do those things in line with that but then if you don't know what you enjoy then it's also going to be really difficult because you want to actually get joy from these things that you're doing. So I think we spend so long doing what, like you said, Beck, or like this person said, is doing what we think that we should do. Write down, like journal it, write down all the things you think you should do. And then on the next page, write down all the things you want to do. And then write down what, like ask yourself, what's stopping me from doing these things? And then ask yourself again, is this thought or is this feeling? Because what might be stopping you is the thought that you'll disappoint someone. Is that how you is that how you want to live your life? I'm sure I disappoint people all the time. Disappoint my mom if I didn't have a child when I was 21. Like as a woman, we disappoint people all the time. But would like, is that really how you want to live your life? 
I think values definitely, as you said, and also <clears throat> I think getting clear on who you are and doing some work around identity. Um, and that's going to be really helpful because um, I don't know um, if this person's in the Facebook group, but one of my clients shared that the work she did highlighted that she is a creative. So she's exploring that side because that's, again, really what's important to her and is she's getting a lot of fun from the process, but giving her a sense of purpose as well and getting outside and tying in nicely with some beauty hunting. So it's a win-win all round. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I think with this, obviously the deeper kind of work here is, is key, but on a day-to-day, -day, when you feel the fear and resistance showing up, I think I've said this to her, but like have little things you go to. So it might be an affirmation. Something I always say is I choose not to live in fear if I feel like fear is stopping me from doing something. So you catch me just saying that in my head. Um, or just having like your little mindful moments to remind you why you're doing it rather than constantly going back to like the big the bigger things that can be quite overwhelming sometimes mm. yeah and I think like what you were saying earlier you didn't say lighten up but you said chill out a little bit and I think that's it too like life is not going to be fun all the time but there's supposed to be fun and joy in there so but part of that is just chilling out about where that might come from and what that looks like it's so hard to chill out sometimes but Everything is easier when you just kind of take a step back and chill out a little bit. Becca, you look like an English rose in the light that you've just moved to. <laughs> I had to move because there was a sledgehammer. Someone has literally, they knew I was doing a podcast and came outside the window with a sledgehammer. <laughs> it is. It's a neighbour, I think. But yeah, I had to move just because I'm slightly further from the window. <laughs> the sun was blinding me and I was sweating. Just so well, you all know that. <laughs> from Someone from like... Downton Abbey or Love Actually, <laughs> very much so. Totally right. Um, okay. Um, is it me? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I will soon be going away for four weeks as a teacher leader for a school volunteering expedition. I will not have my usual routine or sense of control. I won't be buying my own food or have choice over what I eat, and will have no gym access. Although I can try and pack a few exercise bits. Do you have any tips on how to best cope and what to do to help any anxieties that may arise from the temporary loss of control? Oh, I think you need to lean into this <laughs> slightly. <laughs> like, I hear you. I love routine more so when I need control in my life, when things are feeling out of it. But I think this is a really great opportunity to practice all the skills around food that you've been working on and obviously it is going to be I was going to say difficult it's going to be different when food's provided for you but you might get to try some really great things and equally find out some things that aren't so tasty or don't work for you like try and try and reframe it as a really exciting opportunity in terms of training heck like the last couple of years you've learned that you don't need a gym and again it's four weeks so maybe you do get into a bit of routine and do two or three body weight or if you can pack some bands great you can do tons with bands but equally don't stress about it a month is not the end of the world and once you're back home you can get back into the swing of things 
Yeah, I agree. I think framing it as an opportunity is is really important because the things that you that are very hard to let go of control and at home because you're in this routine are going to be challenged and you don't get these types of opportunities often to really challenge yourself in a new environment and so it's such a great time to embrace even though it feels really daunting um what you'll find is that you will be in a new routine when you're there and you'll find structure in the new routine that you've got just because it's different from the one that you have right now doesn't mean that you won't still feel some sort of safeness and I think as much as we try and move away from control through our food and our training like we definitely want to move away from that they should not be a sense of control for us on on the flip side I think having a structure can be quite a healthy means of feeling like we're like not control as such but I think it can be quite a bit of a safe blanket space to feel like we have some structure there but it doesn't have to look like the one that you've always had and so you can what you'll find is you'll probably go there and within a week you'll be in a new routine and a new way of structure and like you said having a month without weight not going to impact anything it really isn't um it takes something like six weeks of total immobilization to start like I think we start to see drops in muscle protein synthesis after something like only like six days um but in terms of but that's total that that's complete immobilization not moving from bed um but there's studies that have looked at people like professional athletes who do 25 percent of their usual training load and maintain muscle mass for weeks and weeks and weeks like beyond four weeks if you're doing 25 percent of your training with bands and um body weight stuff which shouldn't be underestimated tricep push-ups for an example five reps of them and i'm like jesus like that's much time with the sg <laughs> honestly <laughs> i know i started training arms i've started training arms i don't know who i am i say oh no <laughs> I, say, I say i've started training arms no sometimes in the week i'll do tricep push-ups and i'll do some bicep curls <sighs> sorry Steph gives me massive inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> Her upper body workouts. I'm like, yeah, I must just go to the gym and do more. more yeah. Work. I know I've definitely done it. So the point is, like, even if you're doing that, it's not going to impact at all your muscle composition, like your, your body composition. It's really not. Again, what's the worst case scenario if, if it does? I think just because your body changes, body- mean you're losing control so if your body does change at any point I don't mean in this specific situation it's not a reflection of a lack of control even though it feels like that way we really have to in order to find peace with our relationship with food we really have to do a couple of things accept that life is uncertain accept that we're going to have the only way to improve our relationship with food to that end point is to say I accept the uncertainty of life and trust ourselves that we can deal with things that are uncertain there's only the only way to accept it is to say i'll be okay i'll be okay if things change and it's a scary thing to do and if i think about it what that might mean it's like i'd rather not think about it but i know that we'll be okay because we're all we're always okay touch wood in the end we're always okay and i think trusting yourself with that don't overthink it at all she says knowing that I'm sure that most people in this situation would be like well but it's such a good experience not everyone gets to do something like this and this is what you're this is what you're here for life for right 
you're not here to stop your body changing by a kilogram and you're not here to control every ounce of it you're here to feel it and that means all the good stuff as well as all the potentially challenging stuff it is indeed um any tips for pelvic floor exercises or foods to possibly help kegels um no foods are going to help pelvic floor but i mean i don't have a list of pelvic floor exercises but i kind of thought that they were quite not limited but in the sense of pelvic contractions i'm just sat to start doing them now <laughs> pelvic contractions are quite self-explanatory um i know that there's like clinics and stuff that do like proper focus on it i only know that because joanne mcnally was talking about going to one um but yeah i i think if you google pelvic floor exercises you'll get a list but there isn't any there aren't any food stuffs but everyone should be doing them. I don't do them every day, but everyone should be doing them all the time. Pilates is good for it, isn't it? And and in the sense of any sort of core work that you are contracting that area is really helpful. Like, but then that's why I can't do rollouts and stuff. I know this before, but get core gasms every time I try. But I take that as a good sign that my pelvic floor is good. I'm sure they're not. Well, every good. single time. Yeah, I can do about like seven rollouts oh it's not great fascinating it's easier it's easier in the gym than it is with a bloody man <laughs> well, excuse me let me just get my my core thing out and it just leaves the bedroom i'm just going to do my core workout yeah <laughs> that's quite a good idea actually um but yeah, I saw, sorry, it's not hugely helpful. But if you Google pelvic floor exercises, it'll tell you kind of exactly how to do them. But it really is just contracting that muscle or that set of muscles and relaxing them. And, and I wouldn't overthink it. Doing that, maybe you do it, like habit sack it every time that you do a podcast, every time that you um, drink your morning coffee, do it then. Or when you're watching something at night, like stack it with something that you enjoy doing so that it becomes a daily habit that's going to be far more influential than trying to find lots of different ways of doing it just do it five minutes not even five minutes 20 a day like whilst you're watching tv i used to ask like when i had new starters for pilates i used to ask them to do them like while they were brushing their teeth or sat at traffic lights because again it's just like a couple of minutes a few times a day um and, and that's all it needs to be, like you said, just the contractions, but also core engagement. If you're, if you're, I mean, you can use it at the gym as well, just being mindful that you're keeping your core engaged. I mean, we've talked about it when you're squatting and when you're deadlifting, but that's still going to be working those deep abdominals and your pelvic floor is, is part of that. Um, and I think it's one of those things like you, you might think that you're working core, but it, unless you really feel it actually switch on then it's like okay now I know and it becomes a lot more difficult <laughs> um but again like the the cues I use and it'll it'll be different for a lot of people like you might want to think about um how do I how did I used to coach it so I'd always do like if you're imagine that you're wearing a belt and you're pulling it on the tightest notch so you are like taking that deep breath in and then you're going to let it out just to like 
80%. So you let it out just a couple of holes and you keep that, that feeling of those muscles switched on, but you're still able to, to breathe and to move and everything like that without holding your breath. I like that. I just did that there. Same. Nice cue. Yeah. Nice cue. <laughs> and bracing off my Pilates hat. <laughs> Yeah. I'll be what's after this podcast with all this physical activity. <laughs> Try some rollouts as well. Huh? <laughs> um, Becca, question. Okay. Um, how to deal with losing appetite when on higher calories trying to regain cycle? When I was on lower calories, the thought of eating more would have been amazing. But now I'm trying to eat more and I have very little appetite. And even eating three meals a day can sometimes be a struggle. I would look at what you are eating in the sense that are you still trying to keep in the high volume foods? Are you getting in a lot of veg? Veg is great, don't get me wrong. We need it for micronutrients, but obviously fiber fills you up. It can be a bit uncomfortable when it's digesting if you're, if you're eating quite a bit of it. Um, so look at what you're eating. Could you make some swaps to help reduce food volume? Um, I think that would be my first protocol. And also remember that in this process, you aren't always going to be, you probably won't be eating to hunger. Um, and it is going to feel uncomfortable at times, but where you can make it as easy on yourself as possible with those food swaps. Yeah. Yep, I agree. I think it becomes easier and easier the more like kind of higher calorie foods you include, the easier it gets. And I think like be realistic. Are you still, for example, packing out your meals with vegetables? I've had to set targets for people on the other end of vegetable intake and be like, you're not allowed to have more than 12 portions a day because it, it, it becomes quite a habit to eat such high volume foods um I would also question a little bit is it you know when we talk about dieting and or even just weight maintenance or improving your relationship with food and we say is it physical hunger or is it emotional hunger same sort of thing might apply here in that you physiologically probably well you do need more food right so it that the food you've not considered your food choices and or is it actually that you've got a bit of an emotional block in terms of lowering your appetite because you you don't you're so reluctant to eat more so challenge yourself a little bit on that and also on top of that are you actually quite stressed and are you feeling quite low mood and do you feel a little bit anxious and those things to consider too because they may also impact your appetite and so especially if you're feeling anxious we will always say like set a regular meal routine and I would say in this situation too make sure that you are following a meal routine where like a protein shake with a tablespoon of peanut butter and some dates and some milk and some ice blended together is just top notch and it's not going to fill you up um barely going to fill you up it'll just like kind of see you over till like the next thing that you eat including things like that like liquid calories can be really helpful and also delicious so challenge any ideas that you've got in your head about certain types of food that you're still maybe not including yeah 
yeah sticking to the same foods I think as you were when you were that got you to this place we'll say is often like the the downfall isn't it because it's really hard to make them calorific but I don't know did either of you mentioned I don't think you did but the protein intake being like on the real real high end like that's gonna be super satiating so making sure it's kind of low to moderate even um is what I always say yeah yeah um okay um Lynn's question how do I make eating protein at every meal enjoyable and how do I know I'm getting enough good quality protein I often find it feels like a chore or something I'm forcing myself to eat rather than what I would probably prefer to eat and I often also find myself second guessing whether the protein in my meal is enough of a good quality source of a protein to be complete and how to tell this for example Linda McCartney rosemary sausages are great but are four of these enough to provide a complete protein source and how can you tell this Excellent choice in sausage as well. <laughs> I've not had breakfast yet, and then this idea of it, I'm like, mm. yeah, no, yeah, they're so good. Um, the sausages are soy, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I'm sure if Lynn hasn't already, there is um, a resource we can send out for clients that has a list of complete and incomplete protein sources and how you can pair foods to make them complete as well um, if you are plant-based. I think it's, it's one of those things and I think if you're potentially coming from a background where you haven't had protein drilled into you for every meal of every day then um, yeah it is going to be a bit of a challenge but again and it comes into the reframing and checking in with what's kind of aligned with your goals right now but in the sense of reframing again okay well this is a chance for me to try something new um to mix up my meals I might find something I really really enjoy um that becomes a bit more of a staple in your diet and I think the thing is remembering is that protein is essential for your health Protein is super important for hunger regulation. It is important for um, maintaining muscle mass into older years. It's so, so important. And just like when you were a kid and you didn't want to eat all your vegetables, you kept on doing it because it was the right thing slash your parents made you do it. And it's a similar sort of thing of like, it takes, it might take a little bit of time to get used to eating enough protein, but soon it will become a habit and it will become easy. Um, I wouldn't overthink it. I think the first thing is, is like you said, Anna, like education around it is super important and this is a new journey, right? So we expect you to be like, mm, what, what is a complete protein source and what's an incomplete protein source? Because most people are not taught this. And so amazing that you are at least aware of these things and amazing that you are keen to, try different stuff and, and to make sure that you get it quote unquote right like hats off to you because I know that it can be a big change especially if your diet was quite different last time um like you said Anna soy is great tofu soy but tofu great um whey protein I mean if you're vegan you're not going to have whey protein but even a, a, a vegan based one and um, sometimes they have uh, added essential amino acids for people that don't know incomplete proteins are just protein sources that don't have sufficient quantities of all of the amino acids that we require that we can't make ourselves so we need to ingest from food 
Um, so yeah, definitely have a look at that. I think Google is great because sometimes we'll have obviously a resource of these things, but sometimes you have certain foods that you absolutely like. So Google them. If it's like Linda McCartney protein sausages, they are absolutely fine, by the way, and they are a complete protein source. But if you're not sure, just Google, say, is this a complete protein source? And Google will tell you immediately. And, and it's this learning, which is empowering because learning more about nutrition is so empowering and allows you to make choices that are helpful to you. Um, and I would also say like three or four protein servings a day, it's... It seems like a lot, but think about it. Say, say one is a protein shake, one is some yogurt, uh, one is Linda McCartney sausages. If you're doing that three times a day, you're, you're getting enough protein. Um, it might be that you want to lower your protein target a little bit. So normally we roughly set 1.2 to 1.4, 1.2 to 1.6 grams per kilogram body mass, which is roughly 100 to 120 grams for um, women. It's not always within that range, but if you're in a larger body we would tend to reduce that and if you're in a smaller body we tend to increase it a little bit right so we normally say 100 to 120 grams but if you're like that's just not doable for me I don't enjoy it and I'm vegan although vegans generally require a little bit more protein because of this problem with incomplete protein sources the the difference that it makes is not huge so you might want to go down to 80 grams like it doesn't have to be on the higher end all the time but also, yeah, like just don't think about it. Something that I know we've spoken about before is if I'm having a veggie salad, I might have corn cocktail sausages. Oh, I had them last night. Oh, they're so good. But they're not a complete, like they're not a lot of protein in it. So I'll have those and then I'll have some lentils and then I'll have a spoon of yogurt on top with some lemon um, or I'll add or I'll to my salad or something like that. I don't know if that was, a, I don't know. I could, I could, if I think about back to, obviously I know complete protein sources, right? So I could be like, oh, do they match? But realistically, I don't know that from the top of my head all the time. And I trust myself to be in enough variety most of the time and enough protein most of the time to balance that out. I try not to overthink it, but especially if you've come from a meat background, you're like, oh, my protein has to come from one source, 30 grams in this one chicken breast. And when you become plant-based, well, plant-based doesn't mean no meat, but when you become vegetarian or vegan, it becomes more important to be like, well, what multiple protein sources can I get within this one dish and not overthinking it too much? Um, okay, let's do one more question, um, Anna. Finish on a short one. Um, worst bro training advice you've heard through the grapevine? Through the what? worst bro training advice oh god <laughs> do we open that kind of worms i don't think i've had bad training advice you know I, um, my favorite has been to mix things up to shock the muscle oh yeah. classic and so you're always like again not not that this was from my old coach, but obviously you'd go in, like you'd still do like your split training days, obviously. Um, but like from one week to the next, we're like, well, did I do shoulder press? Do I know what I need to be working towards this week? I don't know, because there was no like set plan. It was just like, huh, just oh my God. Shoulder, so I'll mix it up and definitely guaranteed growth that way oh my god as if that's what it was like 
That's awful. I, I don't know if I've had specifically bad advice, but I think the worst, like, let's be honest, like silly things that we see, people do imply metrics between sex, foolish. I, actually, someone did tell me to do that once. To Stop it now. Stop with these facts. Listen, I've done it myself, right? No judgment. You think it's a better way to burn calories or to keep your heart rate up or whatever it is stops you from progressing on your left end don't do it um people that mix things up too often they want new variation every month again hold you back um sessions being like so long foolish so that you kind of enter law of diminishing returns where you start to do too much and actually you're getting no benefit and then you even do even more and actually you start to regress because you're not recovering classics um I feel quite good that I've not had any really bad advice. Mm. I'm winning. I've given myself bad advice though. For sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sweating. It's not hard enough. Yes. Uh, I went through a phase, obviously before I was a qualified PT, of like saving Instagram workouts. Oh. So one of them, I was just telling someone recently, it was a burpee into a deadlift. No way. Do not do, not do it. I, I do not console. No um, way. Like how I didn't put my back out, I will never know. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's really bad. I might regret saying that. But yeah, that happened. No, don't regret saying it. Like we've oh God. I, I used to do bloody jump squats in between squats. <laughs> like this certainly <laughs> we've all done it oh, yeah. at some point in our lives. Um <laughs> really the, the one really to burn fat wasn't it <laughs> oh god oh good times hey i think we've come out relatively unscathed maybe not you anna and <laughs> 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 um, okay my stomach is rumbling like wild i can't wait for breakfast so we're gonna go um thanks everyone for your questions keep them coming thanks guys thanks everyone bye, bye. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, if you did, please do feel free to like, share, subscribe and review. And if you would like to chat to me, then you can find details of my Instagram in the show notes.